Warning, Star Trek from the holodeck contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. Walk it alone! Fire! Holodeck 3 program is reinstated. Open sesame! Commander Klingon vessel. We are energizing transport of him. Now. Hello, welcome everyone to Star Trek from the Holodeck. This is the Strange New Worlds edition, and I'm your host, Michael Flores. I'm also the captain of the USS Rain Man Digital. And at the helm is Ensign David. Hello. Hello, Captain. I'm trying to actually speak like Spock, but it doesn't work. No, <laughs> not quite. You want to try again? Go ahead. No, no, that my throat would actually probably break. You don't trying want... to speak like Ethan Peck. The way he speaks, man, is just awesome because yeah. it's <laughs> in a lot of ways Ethan Peck is trying to do a bad Leonard Nimoy. <laughs> oh come on, a bad Leonard Nimoy. It, but here's the thing: simmer, it would be a bad tongue. Leonard Nimoy, but it's good because it fits for the character. You know what? I, I'm going to go ahead and give the uh, the viewers. Uh, your address <laughs> the listeners you can go ahead and attack david <laughs> we can put him into the agony booth as well we could do that and torture david and for, torture saying, for saying for such saying things. such things all right so with a new episode of strange new worlds comes a new holodeck episode that's what we do here we discuss break down and analyze each new episode to come out of the star trek universe uh, we did hit a big bump this past week on our youtube channel which is good. I thank everyone. Our Strange New Worlds discussion on the premiere made the rounds and continues to get new views. If you are new to our show because you found us out on YouTube or within the social media feeds, uh, you can find all of our discussions on iTunes, Spotify. Those are our preferred places, but you should be able to find our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, whatever place you prefer. Just search from the holodeck. If you do go to iTunes and Spotify, I implore you to please give us a rating and review as it does help trigger algorithms that help others find our show. Uh, I'm putting together a contest, Dave, for anyone that is willing to give us a rating and review, which I will go over the details when we take a break today, which we do. We need to get back to doing that. We haven't done that all season, yeah, but we need to get back to doing our breaks we got we to gotta pay the bills. And we've been neglecting that because I just want to get through our discussions. I don't want to interrupt my thoughts, but we also have to find ways to market the network as well as ourselves so that we can continue to do these shows. Because if we don't bring in the money, this show is not going to last, Dave. I'm yeah. just going just gonna to be honest. Our Star Trek OnlyFans page can only go so far. Mike. Our Star Trek OnlyFans page? <laughs> Did we actually go live on that? I thought that was private for now. I, th I think it's private, but I think maybe. Maybe for our Patreon subscribers, they can actually get access we to We can it. give a little preview. I put a communicator on my dick. <laughs> And David tries to, to start, tries to communicate. He's like, Michael, can I use your communicator? You're like, where is it? It's on my dick. It's very homoerotic. <laughs> All right. So please help us so that we don't, so we don't resort to such perverse notions. Okay. It's time to dive into the recent Strange New Worlds episode. First, it must be stated just how well. This episode was written. The writer Ma Verijo, I'm hoping I say his name correctly, uh, put his writing skill on display from the very opening minutes until the end. Uh, the teaser was so thorough and used exactly what you're supposed to do. It used all those elements that, that are supposed to be aspects of your teaser to lay down the basic framework of the episode which is what a teaser is supposed to do. And of course, it's, it's designed in a more referential sense, as far as meaning goes, to elicit curiosity, intrigue, so that the prospective audience 
engages with the episode quickly. That's the thing that teasers have always been designed to do. Now, originally, on top of that, it was also designed for network television, which was a way to prevent would-be channel surfers from changing the channel to something else. Yes. They had to hook you. They had to grab you. And because we have gravitated as a as viewers, many of us have gravitated to streaming. The need for those teasers have kind of gone away. And because of that, a lot of TV shows are missing that initial hook that really elicits the the intrigue yeah. within the viewer. And I love that we're going back to the basics with this. And I know Discovery, I believe that's something we talked about in depth last season for Discovery. The season four teasers for Discovery were on point as well. Oh, they were. They were. But I mean, like here... It's perfect. I mean, it's almost like they're taking everything they've learned up to this point, even from, you know, not just what each series up to this point has done right, but what each series has also kind of like hit an obstacle on. Strange New Worlds, the writing team basically say, okay, we're going to take everything that basically they gave us prior and learn from that. We're going to make sure that we don't do the same mistakes. In fact, we're going to do an entirely different thing. It goes back to like what me and you talked about previously on the last episode about how Strange New Worlds was going back to that format from to an episodic format. Yeah. And me and you had our concerns. We were like going, is this the right way to do it? But after this episode, dude, I'm really thinking that this is this is how we're going to get the best out of Star Trek because in a lot of ways – Making each episode kind of encapsulate its own story and its own like uh, uh, own story arc within it, it forces the writer to actually make sure everything he does is tight. He doesn't have any he, he has no wiggle room to make errors because if you look at like a lot of everyone's um, gripes with Discovery, Picard, even you, you could even look at Lower Decks and uh, Prodigy. A lot of people say there are times when the writing kind of veers and meanders. Okay. Usually in the midsection. Usually in the midsection. Yeah. Okay. In an episodic format, you, you're not allowed to do that. Because there you is can. no midsection technically. I there mean, there is no midsection. Yes. Story-wise. Yeah. I mean, technically, obviously, there's a midsection, but when it comes to... You know, the story, when you're dealing with a serialized story, yeah, it seems like the the midsection of a serialized season tends to, um, if you're if you don't have all of your writing in check and you don't have every single episode within that serial serialized season completely planned out, you're going to have those lulls. But you're yeah. right, David, with episodic television, there isn't even the opportunity to do that. That's eliminated because you're having or I should say because the focus is on those um, those episodic formats. Formats. Yeah. So, like, that's why I think that I'm beginning to actually feel more and more comfortable with the idea that Star Trek, especially with Strange New Worlds, if they go with that episodic format, I think we're going to get the best writing. I, <laughs> I will. Okay. So, I don't know if I agree 100% yet with that. Now, you have a valid argument. And it's definitely a question worth posing because you are right. Everything you said. I mean, the, the evidence is already here in two episodes. Yes. And also decades of television prior. It's, mm -hmm. it's a tried and true method. But also serial, serialized television is also a tried and true method. And it, it has is. worked for decades. For some reason, it hasn't worked great for the new iteration of Star Trek. But that's not to say it can't be done. However... Going back to the basics, Akiva Goldsman being one of the best producers to take a series back to the basics since he's a veteran television producer and writer. Yeah. He knows what he's doing. And I feel like the producers choosing to go back to the basics essentially with Strange New Worlds is definitely going to be its strength for the time being. But only history will tell us only history whether tell. or not we want to take Star Trek back to the episodic or not, because I love the serialized storytelling of Deep Space Nine I do too. and Enterprise. But honestly, Dave, it remains to be seen how exactly they are going to be working this hybrid episodic formula because 
for all we know, it's going to end up being just like Deep Space Nine Enterprise, where you have your close-ended episodes, but you're going to still have that emotional edge, the emotional arc that continues, or the the main themes of the season continues. Yes. And so far, Pike is that. He is he seems to be that unifying aspect that keeps at least these first two episodes consistent. And if these two episodes don't show us, I mean, it's pretty clear that's probably going to be one of his bigger stories that's going to constantly come back that he's going to have to deal with all season. The, the, the benefit of the, the, the episodic though, is that we don't have to get weighed down with just that. Exactly. That seems to be the problem that a lot of people have with discovery, because mm-hmm. if, dis, if Burnham is having a bad day, that bad day <laughs> lasts an entire season. It's an entire season. And yeah. that's been people's gripe is that you can't just move on because you have to maintain the, the story that you started with. Whereas with this, you can choose to move on for two or three episodes and then come back to it when, when it feels right. When it feels right. And also the main myth arc doesn't, doesn't get hindered by side stories. Like sometimes it would, it would in discovery here in two episodes, the main myth arc of Pike dealing with this. And I love, I love this philosophy of actually coming to understand if how he feels about knowing he's predetermined at this point, he knows his end point and dealing psychologically with that is just awesome. In my opinion, it's one of those philosophical arguments that, I've always read about back in my philosophy days about like, is it better to know your destiny? Is it better to know that this is my end point or would you rather not know? It depends. Your destiny. It really depends, right? Exactly. Yeah. And here we're getting that, but like the way that it's written, each episode tells its own story, but still helps Pike deal with his, his main myth arc. Yeah. Yeah, and we'll get into that. We have a lot to discuss in detail later on in the show. So, David, what did we get in this teaser, bringing it back? Pretty much a grab bag of pieces that would be used to shape the narrative for the episode. We have insight into Uhura, Pike's continued existential crisis, and the race against the predetermined events. Uh, This emotional aspect serves as the overall explicit meaning of the episode, which works And it was also used to create the theme that governed the episode and created a seamless message that was both overt and also buried within subtext. Yes. And this is more or less the stuff that I should say that is the bulk of the episode that um, that the teaser used to set the groundwork. That's why a proper teaser like this works so well, because we pretty much know what the episode's going to be about. The ingredients of the episode was built into that teaser. And then moving forward into the rest of the episode, all you have to do is just sort through and move those pieces around the table and, and tell and connect the dots. Exactly. There was also that aspect that I thought was funny. You know, Uhura's singing, for example, <laughs> was something that they introduced in the teaser. And then, of course, Spock struggled to navigate human social settings were all part of the teaser. And then ultimately were things that we fleshed out through the entire episode. Yes. So let's focus on Uhura to start with, since she was at the center of the episode. Uh, This was a really good episode for the character. It might be the best Uhura episode of all time to be completely honest. (laughs) I think you're right. I like that the producers and the writers took a moment to highlight something about Uhura that a lot of people forget. She used to sing. Yeah. Um, I never been fond of Uhura's singing in, in the original series. <laughs> <laughs> when she used to sing to the crew through the intercoms, if you remember that. Yes. And that was a little cringy. Uh, but it was also the times. It was a little campy, so it worked for that time period. But it's funny how they take those campy elements that were a part of that character and they make it work more or less for modern television. Yes. Also, if you remember Star Trek V, which I love, when she distracted Cybox men Men. via a seductive song and dance routine. Yep. So this has always been a part of Uhura's whole thing, her characterization. So to see them bring that out in a more meaningful way that was used as, uh, as a type of substance was awesome. It was a great way of taking something a little superficial and silly in the original series, as well as one of the movies, and making it 
matter, truly matter exactly. to the character. Making it matter and making it, making it, I don't, I don't like what. Making these, it a part of the solution to the episode as well. Yes. Making it as part of the solution, making it actually important. Yep. And the performance by Cecilia Gooding, dude, is really well done. I like her. One. I like I really her quite like a bit. I like her as, as Ahura. And I think that I'm hoping to see more. This is the thing I was, I was so worried about too, because you're dealing with a legacy type character like Ahura that has to be, as a fan, you don't want them to tarnish that legacy because unfortunately we live in a time when many of our favorite characters in our franchises are destroyed, mm-hmm. right? But like, so like one who, day, David, no, let's not <laughs> no, go, no, let's not go there. Let's not go there. Let's not go there. <laughs> but, um, when it comes to like the legacy characters, you want them to be seen with some respect. Oh yeah. And like, here, this episode, we spent the entire episode with Ahura, and it's fleshing out those little quirks that we've all known as fans about her character. This is the way you respect a legacy. Yes. Taking what we know of the character within canon and use the episode to iron out some of those original series moments and and flesh out a greater understanding behind the character's inclination to sing. Cause I don't believe we ever actually got into why she sings. No. It was just a thing. It's just why she, it was just, that's what she does. She sings. Now we understand why they why tie it into it. her background. They tie it, they tie it into her culture and then they use it to solve a communication gap between themselves and this ancient comment that is essentially sentient. I also like that they brought attention to Uhura's skill set because there's a lot of people, casual viewers, if you will, that really don't know what she does. Well, for, <laughs> I know. for years, as a, even at me, at, for years as a kid, I had just assumed she answered calls. <laughs> and she was, she like was the, a glorified uh, she secretary. Operator. She was the yeah, operator. Uh, yeah, a glorified operator. And that's why I really liked what they did with Hoshi Sato because they actually thoroughly explained the importance of a communications officer and what they really do. They're, they are expert linguists. That's why they are communication officers. officers. So as a Star Trek fan, I totally dug this, but also from a critical view, thinking exclusively of this episode, it works in a big way to establish the skill set of a character their purpose, as well as their intent. And while doing this, the writers also dissected the character's background. All of this, David, running parallel. Agenda, running parallel with another agenda, running parallel with another agenda. This is how you write television. Yes. And think about it, Mike. They were able to do this within one episode, one story one one encapsulated, uh, what would you say, 45 minutes? 45, 47 minutes. They didn't have to spend multiple episodes. Oh, you remember this? Remember this? Yeah, we're going to continue this. Hey, this person does this. This person does this. We're not going to have multiple episodes of Ohura singing. Right, right. You know, it's, <laughs> Just don't, don't get in any negative territory. There's enough of that right yes, now on social there's, media. There, there, there's enough. But this is what the strength is of like, Episodic television again. Yeah. Well, also, I feel like these writers really have a handle on the show. On the show. And the story they wanted to tell for their first season. And David, we talk about great writing and, you know, parallel agendas and everything just working seamlessly, flowing into the next. But out of all of that background that we learned about Uhura, we also learned something very vital to her as a young version of Uhura. And it's the fact that she doesn't quite feel like she's Starfleet material, that this wasn't necessarily something she ever thought she would do, nor does she feel like she will continue to do it. So much of this episode was designed around her perspective, which I really liked. And that's why opening with the cadet log worked well with the episode it aided in the coherency of the narrative and it gave the viewer 
a little bit of context, letting us know that this story is going to be about Uhura for the most part. Yeah. And it's going to be from her perspective. So everything worked to sell that idea. And I like the fact that this, the writing team in Strange New Worlds, they're not afraid to actually take character risks like this. Like all those character, uh, when that happened, when they, she has that talk about her not being sure she wants to be in Starfleet. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of Star Trek babies out there, Star Trek trolls, wanted to jump onto that and just be, oh, here they are destroying Star Trek's legacy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they're trying to strengthen the character's legacy by showing the emotions of how she feels being in the Federation. Which, let's be perfectly honest and clear here. The original series was predominantly, or I would say almost exclusively, about Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. Yes. You had, each character had their moments. Uhura had her moments. Chekhov had his moments. Sulu had his moments. But they were almost like glorified background. Just familiar faces that audiences can recognize and see week after week. We really didn't delve into them like we delved into Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. Yeah. And that's not a negative. That's just how that show was written. Even in the movies, we never really learned a lot about Uhura. They tried to give her a personal story in Star Trek V that felt a little weird because it came out of nowhere, her relationship with Scotty. And then the following movie, there was no relationship. It always felt a little strange. Yeah. So if the writers go back and they choose to flesh out this character, I don't feel like that's a disservice. I feel like that's a respect. That's a level of respect for a legacy character. Yeah. And they're going back and just filling in the blanks, giving her a little bit more depth because the character was a little flat and superficial at times. And it really brings into the scope why. Remember when they first announced this, basically the cast, the crew collection that they announced on Star Trek Day, everyone was wondering why they announced Uhura and, you know, a lot of like the legacy characters were mentioned, Nurse Chapel, uh, Cha- uh, Nurse Chapel and uh, bringing the con character. And everyone was like going, why are they tackling a legacy character in Uhura? This is why you can do this with Uhura. That's we why we don't know a lot about we her. We don't know a lot about her. Let's learn a lot about her. That way, now that I see it, now that I see how this went for this character, Mike, down the line, I wouldn't mind if they introduce Scotty and and Chekhov in the future. You know, have them jump aboard the Enterprise. We got to be because, careful, though. Yeah, and, and not because I think they're going to destroy anything. Just we don't we we don't want this to become like a revolving door of everyone's favorite. Everyone's everyone's favorites. Yeah, we don't I want mean, to like, become a show filled with fan service. If you could take those characters that did not have a lot to do, and now we can flesh them out even further. Let's do it. I agree. I'm on board with that idea because look what they're doing with Spock as well. And I know <laughs> there are some naysayers out there disappointed with what they're doing with Spock. And I don't understand that at all. I feel like everything they're doing with this character is pretty much on par with what we point. know of Spock <laughs> at this point in mean, his life. And I loved his involvement in this episode by pairing him with Uhura. It gave us some very key moments with Spock as well. The writers put Spock's leadership under a microscope and we see the beginnings of a great commander and leader. Yes. Uh, His interactions with Uhura highlighted this. He learns to adapt to Uhura's personality in order for her to find the confidence and sense of purpose she's going to need to continue or if she is going to continue as a Starfleet officer. And it, it, it shows the characteristic of Spock Willing now, after we've seen him in Discovery, those steps towards when he meets James T. Kirk. And it makes that it makes that transition now more understandable. You have him, you know, fully connecting and trying to actually socialize with people. Because in Discovery, they introduced the fact that he was socially inept. He was almost autistic to some degree. And after Burnham leaves, he learns to be more receptive to people, to be more social to people. 
And now we're seeing the first steps of that because by the time he gets to uh, Captain Kirk and McCoy, Spock is kind of more friendly than anything else. <laughs> he's, he's, he's a little, he might be a little quote unquote logical. I, okay. The only thing I want them to do, did you remember there was times in the original series where you wanted to like wring Spock's throat <laughs> because he was so like, he was charming. So he got away with it, but there, you, were, you there, were, to- there were moments where his arrogance was just so fucking it was at a 10. Oh, yeah. It, yeah. When it probably would have sufficed at like five. Especially when he gives the look and it gives that eyebrow that basically he's like <laughs> that smirk. It's it, those are the moments that make me love McCoy oh, more yeah. because McCoy wants to kill. Spock. Well, their, their interplay. Yeah. Their interplay is just fantastic. Yeah, some of the best things of the original series. But I'm hoping that we get a little bit of that Spock as well, because this Spock isn't entirely arrogant. No, and I want to, I want to get that Vulcan arrogance and maybe that's a creative decision from the writers, you know, taking some creative liberties here. Maybe they feel like that won't work. Maybe they, maybe in this time period with the, I don't know, maybe viewers might react unfavorably to a character who is a little bit of an elitist, not a little bit. He is an elitist. Yeah. So maybe that's something they had to make a decision and pull back a bit on. So who knows? Maybe we'll get there. Maybe this is the young Spock, not entirely confident as well. So maybe he's not willing to speak out as of yet. So we'll see. But this uh, Spock is still new for a lack of a better word at the moment. (laughs) So right, rightfully, we see Spock in the classic you know, original series type of snafus. That's the type of things he's finding himself in, but it brought moments of levity when he had those, I guess you can call them arrogant moments when he says, <laughs> when I forgot the exact line, but when he says during moments like these, what I like to do to diffuse difficult situations is I like to apply rigorous logic. Rigorous logic. Yeah. That's going to fix this problem. Yes. <laughs> so that was a, an amazing classic Spock moment. Just, yeah. just a line like that. And then those are the moments that basically we start to see the growth where we're supposed to see, okay, Ethan Peck is be- going to become what we know of Spock because he can't be that right away. We, we, we need, we need to see this growth into Spock because when he becomes the second in command to uh, Captain Kirk, that is kind of like, I think, everyone's pinnacle of Spock. That's who we know. That's the perfect Spock. Because at that point, all those idioms that we love about him are there. I don't know. My, my perfect iteration of Spock is the one when he was on the planet Genesis. <laughs> and he was going through puberty. When he was going through, when he was going through puberty. I love that version of Spock. So good. And he had to learn how to... Uh, "Quote unquote masturbate as a Vulcan." <laughs> Listen, he didn't learn. I guarantee Savic was, was was doing it for him. So I'll help you <laughs> through this uh, accelerated panfar. I know. I'm like going, and then the panfar was like, you know, essentially, it's his fingers are his dick. Oh. Let's just face it. Oh, Jesus. All right. Another. Speaking of penis, the flirtatious chapel. I love, Dude, I love this. I love that scene. Yes. I just love how completely unaware Spock was of her, of her flirtations. flirtations. <laughs> I, what does she say? I'm more than capable of it. No, he says I'm more than capable of enduring any pain you may induce. And yes. then chapel comes back with her little sexually charged quip. I loved it. I thought it was great. <laughs> and also it goes back to what we were discussing in our last episode. We had posed the question, will they play with the illusions uh, from the original series when they alluded to Chapel and Spock, Spock having a thing. a thing. And that's so what, they're doing it. And that's what has me really excited is because like that shows that at least there has to be some talk in that writing room that says, Hey, you know, this is, ha- this is what happened in the past series. Are we going to bring that in? Yeah, it only makes sense. It would feel like a missed opportunity if they didn't play around with this flirtation a bit because it was there in it the original series. It was there series. in the original series. Yeah. I mean, everyone constantly wondered, why doesn't Kirk bang Nurse Chapel? Well, it's probably because Spock is banging Nurse Chapel. Listen, you know, Kirk was all about numbers. 
<laughs> he was all about who can I bang and how many. Spock was all about quality. quality. Look, at, look at all the ladies he was always involved with. Always high quality. Not, not as many as Kirk because he was about quality over quantity. <laughs> Kirk was like, I'm going to land on the planet. You I'm going to have sex with you. <laughs> yeah. Well, meanwhile, he's having quality relations with Nurse Chapel in the um, medical bay. In the medical bay. And Dr. McCoy's like, oh, God damn it. Yeah, he had the tricorder on his penis. Hey, lots of blood flow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so awful. <laughs> it is, but it's true. <laughs> they're also using, they're using the Vulcan, um, I don't want to call it ideology, their logical and philosophical outlook. Now, the reason why I bring this up before I get into it, let me preface this for some context. There may be people who are unaware that much of the Vulcan culture and their philosophical outlook was based on the Stoics. You can also say at times there was a bit of a grab bag. They pulled from different you know, Western philosophers to help shape the way the Vulcans viewed. Oh, easily things. Yeah. But stoicism was definitely a big part of that. And they made that point in this episode when Spock essentially tells Uhura to quit thinking about what could happen. Focus on the here and now. That is very much a part of Vulcan Vulcan philosophy, and it's also a, a, a foundation of Stoicism where they actually say live in the here and now, pretty much what, what Spock said, yeah. as the Stoics would say, you can't change the past, you can't control the future, but you can learn from your past yes. and help dictate a better future by living in the now. Well, it's basically the idea is um, we learn from our pain. And it's like the, the, the idea of stoicism is like, uh, it's just a focus on the immediate is like, all right, we understand that this did not work, but what can we learn from it now? Exactly. And it doesn't matter if it was a hardship. It doesn't matter if it was, if it was a benefit, what did we learn? The, the, what did we learn at this moment to move us forward into the proper quote unquote path? Yeah, and there's no benefit to dwelling on the past on the past after you've learned your lesson, and there's no point in on pondering the future because and, you cannot control the future. So I did like that bit. Well, it, the one thing I was going to bring up was it it this moment when he brings this up to Uhura really mm -hmm. makes sense when we think about Spock later on, and the one question that everyone constantly brought up if he knew of that he had a sister. And his, her, his sister went into the future. You mean to tell me that Spock doesn't bring her up? And yeah, he doesn't because at the here and now, that's what matters. Burnham did a great thing. I mean, he even mentioned it in the past episode. He's coming off of basically coming to terms with the fact of her, his sister just basically jump-started into the future and left them. What benefit does it serve what to benefit? tell anyone about his sister? Exactly. It, despite... It being classified, same thing with Cybok. I know people complained about Star Trek Five, and he and the fact he never mentioned a brother. Yeah. Spock explains why he never mentioned his brother to Kirk when he asked him. Quite frankly, he never asked. That's, yeah. I mean, that, that was his, that was my favorite. That was my favorite answer <laughs> by far from Spock when it came to discussions with with Kirk and McCoy. Yeah, but, but that <laughs> puts into perspective the way Balkans look at things. And that's why I brought this entire thing up. And though it was only a few, maybe 20, 30 seconds of a scene, it does give me hope that we're going to continue to give us those, those, those philosophical aphorisms. And also of course, keeping it to more or less stoicism, which is what a lot of the Vulcan belief structure philosophical outlook is built upon so oh, yeah. hopefully we continue down that track as well and they got to dude they have to we we need to get more it's it's the reason why i've always loved vulcan involvement it is one of my complaints in star trek voyager and it's probably the reason why they didn't go into it too much is because tuvok was a character that just wasn't liked that much in voyager no but to paul was used 
uh, beautifully. I thought she was as a way to yeah. flesh out the Vulcan society and their problems, and the it was great. And that's why I've always loved the inclusion of the Vulcan character because I just love them as characters and their society and their culture. And if you think about it, even like in Strange New Worlds, the moments with not just Spock but Tapring. That that <laughs> I, I keep thinking the, about David, that moment. David, quality 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 <laughs> over quantity look at her amazing look looking. what spock does he just basically says oh, okay well <laughs> see ya and it's like okay this is why spock has issues yeah. but like it goes to the like likewise how they're they're portraying to pring to pring's the same way she's very stoic she might be snarky like i love that whole interplay between her and spock yeah, that's good was awesome. And like, she was trying to tell him something straight into his face, but Spock being Spock, it goes over his head. Listen, she cheats on him anyways. So you <laughs> know what? Matter. Yeah, listen, dude, Spock. Dude, if, listen, she was logically dude, choosing a better mate. David, <laughs> that may be a spoiler to everyone. <laughs> so stupid. It's from 50 years ago. It was 50 years ago. But listen, I'm just, I, I just want Spock to somehow know about this. So, he can move in on chapel. Oh, easily, easily. Guilt free. Guilt free. There has Come to on. be. I, I want to see. I know Spot can find some logic to justify. Hey, I'm in the here and now. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm <laughs> in the here and now. I mean, it's either chap a chapel dude or Uhura. Because in the past, they've also alluded to the fact that Uhura had a relationship with Spot. Wait, too. Did they? I don't. I yeah. don't know. Did they? Come on. I don't. Yeah. I don't remember that at all, Dave. I'll oh, have yeah. to look it up. But yeah, there, there's been illusions of Spock going everywhere. Just no one, no one's really talked about because you have this horn dog in Captain Kirk. <laughs> Every planet he goes to, he has to have sex with someone. Yeah. Meanwhile, in the shadows, Spock is like in the shadows. Tapping, you make tapping. it sound all creepy, like he's in a fucking dark alley, dude. Have you no, Dave? Okay, Scott, this is a slash fiction. <laughs> we need to go to a very quick break because we are getting off track here. That is true. We'll be right back. Right. Let's slip the dogs of war. Star Trek from the holodeck will be right back. Fire everything! All right, so from now until the end of Strange New Worlds, we will give out two sets of prizes through a drawing. There's two options listeners need to do to be eligible. Rate, review our podcast on iTunes or Spotify, or subscribe to our Patreon page to the $3 tier, that's the minimum, between May 15th and July 7th. The first prize is the Star Trek Strange New Worlds Key Art Premium Poster, the 18 by 24, I believe is the dimensions. It's the full-size one sheet. Second prize is a From the Holodeck t-shirt which we will mail to you directly. The only stipulation is you do have to live within the U.S. And to prove that you have done one or the other, just send me a message with a screen grab of your rating review or Patreon subscription to facebook.com slash Star Trek from the holodeck or our Twitter at from the holodeck. Send me that screen grab. Hashtag it. Holodeck RMD. If you are already a Patreon subscriber and you've left a review or rating in the past, I will allow this to be your entry. All you have to do is just send me a screen grab so I can include it into the drawing. If you want to subscribe as your entry, go to patreon.com slash Digital. That's our Patreon page and pledge $3 or more a month and you'll gain access to our pre-shows. And if you subscribe to the $5 tier, you'll gain access to our full additional podcast discussions that does fulfill your drawing requirement. And we will draw on July 8th and make the announcement a couple days later. Two winners, David. I think that's worth it. Free stuff is awesome, but free stuff that will spice up your bedroom is even better. Just go to adamandeve.com and select almost any one item for 50% off, and then we'll load on the free stuff. Just enter this very exclusive code, RAINMAN, at checkout, and you'll get 10 tantalizing free gifts, including a sexy item for him, a special toy for her, Ooh. and a third item you'll both enjoy. Ooh. 
and six extra special bonus items that are sure to rev your engine, pique your curiosity, mm. and even blow you away. Plus, free shipping. Always sent in discreet packaging. Go to adamandeve.com now. Get 50% off plus the 10 free gifts when you enter the exclusive offer code RAINMAN. Again, that's RAINMAN. Because without it, no free stuff. That's RAINMAN at adamandeve.com. Okay, so let's talk about the Pike stuff. Dude, this... I'm liking where they're going with this. It's good. I thought I was really nervous about this storyline because where could you go with this with Pike? Because especially since the last episode, it looked like, oh, they cut it off. They yeah. they fixed it. Right. And that was the one thing me and you were talking about, like in the last episode. Well, it looks like they they kind of nipped it in the bud and fixed it. But they then they brought it here and they just basically almost, it was like, okay, they fixed it, but now they're going the next step with it. They brought, when you're doing episodic television, they brought the needed resolve for that episode, but it, they didn't necessarily bring Pike's existential crisis to a conclusion. And yes. that's something that you and I were debating last episode, whether or not they would do and honestly, the Pike stuff just works so well and it exemplifies it exemplifies the serial slash episodic hybrid format that we've been talking about all episode that Akiva Goldsman was talking about as well, leading up to the premiere. You know, as it pertains to the bulk of an episode and its plot, the writing team will focus on the episodic formula, but the emotional weight, the impact of characterization and character development will be used as an anchor. Yes. And this episode is a perfect example of just that. That is exactly what we got with Pike. He was the emotional myth arc, the anchor, taking his existential crisis as it pertains uh, to Pike's perceived fate and connecting it to a major plot point of the episode. And it was such a clever way to explore the elusive subtleties of predestination and mm -hmm. how even if something or someone might perceive an event as fate, we still may not fully understand that predestined event and how it will play out as well as the lasting impact. So the events of the episode allowed the writers to get inside Pike's head a bit mm -hmm. more. And of course, no, we see that he's struggling. And I like that. I like that notion that Una sold to us at the end of the episode that how do you know this has to be your fate? Yes. And who knows? They may find some way to fuck with all of us by the end and and allow Pike to have an actual happy ending. Mm -hmm. We will see. We still have a long ways to go before we get to that point. But it's a great way to help the character move forward. You know, that oh, idea of not understanding your fate. Don't succumb to what you view your fate is. Don't fall into to that existential dread because yes. you don't know for sure. But the sad thing about that, his rebuttal to Una was the names of yes. the people he saves when he reaches that fateful day. He knows the names and what makes it even more darker and depressing is he's keeping tabs tabs on them on these people. So he knows these people exist. He knows that he saw a glimpse of his actual future. You might be able to almost convince yourself that it's not real, that it was just a vision, but then you go and look up the very people you're supposed to save and they exist. Exactly. That's got to do a number on you on the psyche. It does. And that's the thing about, the, the philosophical argument of predestination, is it better to know your fate or not, is, is, is one of my favorite philosophical arguments or debates that people will bring up in philosophy. And I like how it's being played here. Mm -hmm. Like, I like the fact that Una is saying, well, you don't necessarily know. This is your interpretation of like what you saw. And then the fact that Pike is looking at it, yeah, and he's understanding that side, but he's also still kind of cursed to to transfix on that predestined moment to the point where he's looking up the names of the people that he sacrifices for. Almost, almost to me, that scene felt like Pike was trying to see if it's worth it. 
Yeah. I want to make sure that these people are worth it. That's a great, you know what? I didn't think about that because that, that is a great philosophical aspect. It's, it's a philosophical aspect of that argument. It goes, it kind of goes to one of the greatest things. I'm going to name an old movie from a long time ago that isn't that great. It's a little overrated, but the ending is really good. Yeah. And that's saving private Ryan. Oh yeah. When the main character in that movie played by Tom Hanks dies because his entire mission was to save a single person. His unit got mowed down. He dies at the end. And his final words is make it all worth it. Yeah. Essentially, essentially saying earn this. live a good life so that my death and the death of my men matter. Yes. So that's a great point, Dave. If that imagine if he is looking at that, like, are these people worthy of his death? That's why I'm like going, I wonder if, that's when we're going to see maybe more nods to other characters in the legacy about how, like if Pike doesn't make this sacrifice, mm -hmm. all these legacy, some of these legacy characters might not be where they are because of Pike. Yeah. And think about it. It goes back to, goes back to the adage in the very beginning of the cage. Pike at that point is pretty much sold on his fate because remember Spock shows up at Pike's hospital and he's, and Spock basically tells Pike, I know you don't want me to do this, but I'm going to do this regardless because I'm going to save my friend. And so that tells me one of two things. Pike is Pike basically at that point is pretty much set to be in that fate, to be in that chair. And he's okay with he it. He accepted it. He accepted his fate. Isn't that a cool, how you can go back? Obviously that wasn't the plan at that time. Yeah. But now when you look at it in retrospect, it makes you reevaluate things that we had thought we have known this whole time. Mm -hmm. And it, I like when shows do that. And then when, now that I look back at it and I put it in just a position, I hope I said that right. With this episode, then you look back at it and it says, this is what Pike's doing. He's trying to make sure this, he's got to make this worth it. You know, he gets into that chair and he's going to be locked in there for eternity to his brain. The people that he sacrifices for have to be worth it. <laughs> all, all of this stuff is they're going to, they're going to be here for the time being. I mean, I, I don't see, I know I had said last episode that it, feel, it felt like it was brought to a resolve. And to a degree it was, that was the point of the episode. But this stuff is going to be a big driving force for this series. All it, it did, it, all it did was it took the argument of Pike's now and kind of elevated it. It, it. it almost like transformed it into another part of the argument. You know, yeah, you're, you're okay with the fate aspect, but now, okay, what do you do to cope with that yeah it's always going to play a part in the decisions he makes until he finds a way to reconcile with it but then as i said we had that una moment giving us all hope yes. your fate is what you make of it so we'll see where they take this i really like this aspect because i feel like a lot of this to some degree can can understand or were empathetic of, of Pike's plight, who wants to know their fate truly? No, no one wants to know the day and how we die. Oh no. Most of us would fall into a type of existential despair to where we don't care about anything. The fact that he's still on that ship and he's still doing his duty speaks volumes about his character because yes. most of us, if we knew we were dying in 10 years, Oh, we'd be counting down the clock. We would live a nihilistic <laughs> lifestyle. Fuck existentialism. We're going to, we're going down that nihilistic path. Yeah. That's what most people would do. If we knew we were going to die in 10 years, how and when, and it's going to be a brutal, painful existence. I'm going to live my best life for 10 years. You know, you know, the funny part is Mike now going outside of star Trek, the one that I, I always felt this argument of knowing your destiny and how you would treat it. The one show that did it right. That actually showed it realistically was supernatural because remember when Dean, or when Dean comes yeah. to the realization, well, I'm going to hell regardless Yeah, because I sold my soul. What does he do? 
He goes around. He sleeps with women. He throws caution to the wind. He doesn't care about his life. Yeah. Well, that's what most people would probably do. That's what most people would do. But that's what makes Pike special. Yeah, absolutely does. Because Pike is like, no, I'm not going to do that, but I'm going to make it count. I have to make it count, not in a selfish way, but in a community way almost. I feel like by them doing that with this character, it really strengthens the idea that humanity has evolved. Yeah. Because it's not always just about, hey, goodwill to all men and women and people across the universe. I'm a good person. This is also an example of humankind's evolution. Yeah. Because even knowing your fate, you put others ahead of you. Ahead of you. And it, and it that's really, a, I think that's a fantastic Star Trek statement. A statement that I should say is fitting of Star Trek is oh, a absolutely. better way of saying that. Because it, it harkens back to, you know, the whole beauty of Star Trek uh, Wrath of Khan. The whole adage of the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Don't being able to sacrifice yourself because you know what you're doing is for the right for everybody, not yeah. you for everybody. And that's what this episode kind of did for me is kind of like it put Pike in that similar vein of Spock where Spock was willing to sacrifice himself because he, because of his love and care for that crew and that quote unquote, his family on the enterprise Spike, uh, P- uh, Pike's element, Who's Spike? Or Spike, but Pike's <laughs> element is even above that. He doesn't, it's not just about his crew. It's about everybody else. It's about everybody even outside of his crew. Well, look at the decision. He willingly made this decision uh, during season two of discovery when he knew that he would see his fate and he chose to take that time crystal. That sounds so terrible when you say it out loud, but he, when he takes the time crest, the time <laughs> crystal, <laughs> Oh, that sounds kind of bad. <laughs> it's not bad, though. It's, it's a good bad. idea, it's not bad. and it works. But when he takes the time crystal and he sees his fate, I mean, he was warned, and he chose to do it anyways in order to save the universe. And because of him and his actions, not only did he save the universe, but now he's going to save people's lives. But that, but the end game is just sheer agony and pain. How 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 crazy is it, Mike? How Shakespearean that, is that? Would you say in two years' time? We're going to look back at Strange New Worlds and Pike is probably going to be like the third most favorite captain. I'm not going to put him up there with Kirk and Kirk and Picard, but Pike can be easily up there. I think he's the most good looking captain. Swoon. (laughs) (laughs) You're a good looking dude. I'm so fucking jealous right now. Even with that mountain man beard. All right. Quit looking that good. (laughs) You make the rest of us look bad. (laughs) We have Saru's captain, please. (laughs) He didn't make me hate myself. <laughs> okay. Lastly, we cannot forget the brilliant situation that was created as a platform to generate everything we've talked about, all of our character development in a way that felt organic. And that's the pre-warp civilization, the asteroid, the zealot aliens <laughs> that protected the arbiter yeah. of life. These things were plot points, but they served as a clever way to build out the symptomatic meaning of the episode. And in layman's terms, bringing the thematic subtext, the film's plot under a singular umbrella of intent and meaning, which is used to create a coherent story where all of our pieces work fully together, much like a cogs of a clock. That is why at the end of the day, this episode is superb because it does everything right. Everything works to motivate the next element. Nothing is outlying. There's no strands that go off into other areas that aren't tied back. Everything works to push the plot forward. Yeah. Everything, not just the plot, but the themes, the thematic elements are all connected. Uh, Pike, the aliens, Uhura, all connected under the same theme. Well, think about it. I mean, Uhura makes that comment about the comet knowing its own fate. And this, knowing its own fate, and basically this is, it it was, it predetermined knew what it was predetermined to do. And then you, it's perfectly parallel with Pike. And they don't have to overly say it, but the way it's shot, the way it's portrayed. You understand. You understand that basically, hey, 
It's an allegory for Una's point that she made exactly. the pike. You don't know. You perceive your fate as this, but you don't know. Just like with the comet, we perceived that the, that the fate of the civilization was going to be dire. But then this was always going to be the outcome because of X, Y, and Z. And things worked out positively. So it's an interesting thought. It, there's a lot of philosophy there. They're posing so many philosophical questions. Oh, yeah. I couldn't even keep up. It was fantastic. Also, the visual effects was gorgeous. The cinematography is appropriately blocked and framed to convey meaning. David, I could spend an hour on the visuals, but we just don't have that time. Oh, easily. However... In future episodes, if time permits, I want to go back to what we did during the first two seasons of Discovery. Oh, yeah. And I want to pick out one or two scenes that we can dissect from a cinematography standpoint every episode. Um, I don't know, dude. We quit doing it because the... We got really just busy and there's just so much to well, talk so about. so much to talk about. But Discovery during the first two seasons had really strong cinematography. It was very symbolic. Very, very lot, symbolic. lot of, yes, a lot of symbolism within the visuals. So I'm hoping we can get back to that because the visual effects and the cinematography is just mind blowing in this show so far so if we have time dave always have one scene that you would like to discuss and i'll have one scene that i want to discuss and we'll break it down from a film theory okay yeah that perspective so we can kind of share some insight on why certain uh frames are designed the way they are potentially okay so we'll get into that we also got the introduction of well, we saw him last episode for a minute. <laughs> I like this character, Hammer. Yes. I want to say his name. Now, interestingly, I, I, I well, for, let me backtrack. There was a negative review we read at the end of our last discussion about albino aliens, and I wasn't sure what they were talking about. And they yes. were using it as an insult, saying that they just throw certain things in that don't matter, that don't make sense, that never were there before. First off, these, this alien species isn't new. We've never fully dissected and delved into this species. Uh, they are subspecies of the Andorians. Yes. Uh, they were first introduced in Enterprise. So I think that's pretty fun and a great way to really open up the world of Star Trek when it comes to those alien species. So I'm hoping they do something special with, with the Anar. Is that how you pronounce this subspecies? Yes. The, the Anar, yeah. The Anar. And but like the thing that's also really cool about Hammer is when we get a chance to see alien species in Star Trek, it they always use alien species to kind of make a point of taking an aspect of what we are as humans are. It's about exploring the human condition. Exactly. Every time. Every single time they introduce a Alien char- alien type character. It's not actually about the alien. It's not about the alien. It's about how Humanity. the alien is more human than some of the aliens. Yeah. Or, <laughs> or they use the alien aspect to dissect or explore or to delve into social commentary pertaining to Humans. the human, con- the human, human condition. condition. Yeah. I mean, they. you look at all those characters that you brought up, every single one of them. In one or a way or treasure another, trove. Or a treasure trove of like what it means to be human. Yeah. And especially with Saru. People kind of forget about this, but Saru is actually one of the he's, great he's, characters. He that started off that, really strong. He started off really strong about yeah. like showing an alien species, dealing with prey, being a prey species and yeah. turning into a, a, a aggressive species. Yeah. That's fantastic. That's like, how did we go from being a caveman to being a civilized human being. <laughs> yeah. So I am happy that they are jumping into this territory just to get a little more insight on this alien species. Uh, they're a kind of subspecies blind ice dwellers. Yes. Uh, for most of their history, they were considered a myth. Uh, stories were told to the Andorian children. 
Uh, they were discovered living in a northern waste. The Anar were a humanoid species native to the northern waste of Andoria and a subspecies of the Andorians. Their population during the mid-22nd century consisted of only a few thousand. I believe that was the same time period that we were first introduced to them in Enterprise in the episode titled United. So if you want a little bit of background on that species, check out episodes titled United, the Anar, and These Are the Voyages. Episodes that were part of Star Trek Enterprise, of course. So let's see where they take us with this, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, I like the introduction so far. That's one thing Star Trek always has excelled in. And it's, it's been using these types of aliens. So we'll see what they do with this one. And then I want to preface this, Mike, by because I know that there are Star Trek fans out there. Oh, we're going to complain about it because we're these species. <laughs> Why aren't these species? We didn't know about these species ahead of time. Take a chill pill and relax. We'll, they will explain why these alien species don't actually get mentioned or why they're, why they're never mentioned in some of the other series. We're going to take a chi- We're going to take a moment to actually explain this. <laughs> Fucking people. Oh. People aren't patient. <laughs> no, they're not Dave. Okay. This does bring us to the end of our discussion. We do need to get into our final thoughts. David, why don't you start things off for us? Go ahead. Final thoughts on this episode. Again, the, if you're not watching Star Trek Strange New Worlds, you're missing out. I mean, the the opening still gives me chills, Mike. I love the opening. I love the theme song. Una and uh, Nurse Chapel gives me chills. <laughs> Just going to put that out there. <laughs> Nurse if, Chapel. If the actors are Uhura missing. gives me chills, man. Uhura is Oh, like, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I can't forget. She is steamy. She's got <laughs> some big Tawana Wongas. Tawana <laughs> I, I like a girl with curve. But, <laughs> but um, besides that, score-wise, this episode continues a trend from last episode. It's a 95 for me yeah. with this episode. Some strange reason, Mike, this is something I wanted to bring up while we have, are doing our scores. Okay. Wait, what did you give it? A 95. Okay, 95. A part of me wants to give it higher than anything else. Higher than a 95. But I wanted to actually see if with your score, if it made sense, if I gave it a higher score. It, well, okay, David, since you ask, I'm actually going to give this episode a 98%. Okay, so... If I were to bump it up, you, you'd probably be in the same boat with me. Yeah. I wouldn't have thrown something at you. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't throw it. If you had given <laughs> it. I almost gave it 100%. I just don't want to blow my load because we have a lot of episodes ahead of us. But that's Dave, the tough part about to these me, two this episode is, is a perfect example of the perfect script. It was written so concise. It did everything right. All the hidden things that people don't pay attention to in writing, it was there. And I hope every episode is like this. I do too. If every episode is like this, this might end up being the best Star Trek series of all time. I, I, now, scary, isn't it? Now, a good, I know we're jumping the gun here. Now, a good, yeah. let me also say that a, this might sound a little stupid or silly, but... A well-written script may not always equal great Star Trek either, though. So we should keep that in mind. This did both. It did both. Because there's episodes of Discovery that are written very well. And there's moments where, you know, people had problems with some of it because it didn't quite feel like Star Trek. So we'll see. Will it? excel and be better than Voyager, Deep Space Nine, and TNG, which in my opinion are three of the best Star Trek series of all time. We will see. Only time will tell, but if they continue to write this and they keep building on those emotional myth arcs, uh, we're in good hands. We don't have anything to worry, anything we don't to have worry, to worry about. about. It's so yeah. weird, isn't it? It is weird. Dude. <laughs> it's, it's so strange. It's like, please don't hurt us, but it's like, they're the one, they're the, they're the, they're the, uh, the writing team that basically says, don't worry, just trust us. Yeah. Trust us. I won't hit you anymore. I won't hit you anymore. Meanwhile, you know, Picard is like going, yeah, come back to us. (laughs) Let's not, let's not bring that up. The Picard season two ended successfully. So let's 
bring our that's never going to happen. We're still going to make jokes. <laughs> We're going to make jokes. Yeah, jokes are they're always going to be there. So listeners out there, don't take it too seriously. It's just jokes. It's for, it's the, it's jokes. for levity, Dave. It's for it's for shtick, shtick. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> All right, we are way over our time. I want to thank everyone for listening. Please head over to our Patreon, patreon.com slash Digital, and subscribe. You can subscribe to our $3 tier, which will give you all of our pre-shows and behind-the-scenes type stuff, as well as um, we also have, I should say, a $5 option. Yes. Which will give you access to all of our full podcast discussions that we've done for the last, I don't know, three, four years since we started our Patreon page. That is only available to Patreon subscribers. We do have a few other shows planned for this month as well as next. We continually put out content over there. And when you subscribe, when you go to patreon.com slash Digital, you'll also be added to the drawing for our prizes. Yeah. Thank you, David. Thank you. Live long and prosper. I couldn't help but notice your pain. My pain? It runs deep. Share it with me. End simulation.